2: Hello, and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan,
1: And me, Julia Ajay. Today, we're taking you back to an episode we recorded when we were guests on the Brain Tumor Charities podcast. Let's talk about brain tumors.
2: In the episode, we open up about our experiences as partners of brain injury survivors, some of the challenges we faced along our journey, and the progress we've made during that time. We also hear from co-host of
1: the podcast, Andy Tudor, about life following his brain tumour. It's also hosted by Sarah Gubbins, who works as a support worker for young adults for the Brain Tumour Charity.
2: But before we get onto this week's episode, a quick thank you for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you, our audience. Thank you so much. We do have a small favour, please like and review this podcast it will help others to find the podcast easier and it would mean a lot to us too do follow us on instagram on a good day and twitter on a good underscore day we're also on facebook um, and all the details will be in the show notes thank you again and let's get on to the episode
3: Welcome to Let's Talk About Brain Tumours. In this episode, we're going to be joined by Elizabeth and Julia, the hosts of the podcast On A Good Day, which they started to talk about their experiences of brain injuries. So welcome to the
2: podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's an absolute delight to be here.
3: You're absolutely welcome. Elizabeth, can I start with you? Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and how you come to be in this situation?
2: Sure. So... I'm Elizabeth Callahan. I'm a mum of two girls, a journalist, blogger. I've got a health and wellness business. I have lots of hats, and I'm also the co-host of On a Good Day, uh, which is a new podcast um, which I co-host alongside Julia. We connected after both our husbands had a brain injury. We were connected by a mutual friend. We really got so much out of the conversations that we were having, and we just thought, gosh. We need to kind of get these out to a wider audience because we know that so many other people will benefit from this. So, you know, I, I guess the podcast was born out of wanting others to feel more connected, less alone, and to get some more information and answers that we wanted to know. So, we wanted to, you know, get that from the guests that we have on and ask those questions and, you know, get that out to a wider audience. So, how how did brain injury come into my life? So, it was five years ago, my husband had uh, a stroke. So he was 38 at the time, had been a very confident, vivacious, you know, go-getter and had a series of medical issues. He did, you know, quite a few life-threatening conditions. You know, he's had cancer, he's had, um, you know, heart surgery. and, And this was another incident. He got a bacterial infection, went to his heart and then had to have heart surgery and then somewhere along the way a stroke so we then found that out sort of a week later it just is completely life-changing you know you kind of don't realize it at the time but everything has changed as a result of that brain injury and it's adapting to that new way of living and connecting and us being a family I suppose Absolutely. And
3: that's very young, 38, to, to, to being like, you associate strokes with much, much older people, don't you?
2: You do. But, you know, I, I guess within the work that we've done, we, we come across so many people, so many yeah, younger people that are having strokes and brain injuries. Isn't it, Julia? Because Hector was fairly young as well.
1: Yes, he was only 38 too. And he had a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage 13, just over 13 years ago. I also have two children. They're 23 and 18, but at the time Hector had his subarachnoid, we were um, living in Nigeria and the children had just turned five and ten. So we were, you know, kind of life changed in lots of ways then um, because they had to change school. My son had just started school and we ended up back living in with my mum's house where we still are and in the village that i grew up in so we moved overnight from nigeria hector was flown to addenbrookes hospital in cambridge and uh yeah that's that's where we are today do you have any
0: sort of warnings that that might happen any idea or did it just sort of come out of the blue uh
1: yes out out of the blue he collapsed and i i realized that it was pretty catastrophic then he'd, he'd mm. been having headaches but yes apart from that it was uh out of the blue
3: that's the thing your life changes in just a blink of an eye doesn't it just that you're going along in life and then suddenly just something happens and like you said it it changes your life in ways you don't even imagine that your
1: life is going to be changed absolutely and i think that's been the case for both of us hasn't it
2: yeah completely um and you you don't realize it at the time it's just yeah over time things change in really lots of different ways which i'm sure we're going to get into but yeah it affects every part of your life i would say brain injury um whatever and it's a very wide um, spectrum isn't it of of illnesses but the communication changes the how you connect with each other and the things that they can do the responsibilities that you're taking on as a, a care or a partner of a brain injury survivor and for them you know such a different life and their kind of emotions and getting their head around it and you're getting your head around it it just impacts so many people and i think you know when we were thinking up on a good day podcast we just thought look it's not just that individual it's the whole community of people that's affected by it and actually if we can help strengthen those links strengthen those people around that brain injury person then you are empowering them more so and supporting them as a collective
3: yeah because andy you've talked about that in the past haven't you how your brain tumor has affected your your filters gone and sometimes you'll just blurt things out or say things that are inappropriate and that your children have to explain to people or say things to people to prepare them for sometimes that you'll say things
0: yeah that's true and i because my i was lucky i guess that i can still sort of function as i did before pretty much and i know listen to your your previous some of your previous podcasts your husbands were affected quite more significantly in that sense but for myself, it was some of the things that affect me, which may affect your husband's life, about the fatigue, tinnitus, things like that, the lack of being able to sleep. And then all things that are invisible, which which makes it harder when people ask you how you are. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later. When when you say, how are you? Um, I either say I'm fine, and mm. that covers a multitude of sins because I haven't got the time to, to explain to people what's, what's going on, or you explain to people what's actually going on. And as and so one of the challenges I've got is my brain-mouth filter has been impacted. I'll tend to blurt out things as I think them, which can be a bit embarrassing, dare I say. So my family know that. So they they cut me some slack, if that makes sense. And they quite like it sometimes because I will say things that are a little bit rude. But if we're out with others, I have to make a real effort almost not to speak until I'm absolutely sure what I'm going to say. So it makes casual conversation very difficult with other people because i'm always aware that if they don't know me and it hasn't been explained to them they might either take offense or wonder why i'm saying random words occasionally just because i can't speak them quickly enough
2: is that something that you've honed over time then that you've managed to kind of restrict yourself or just be like okay don't talk yet for are you formulating the sentence in your head before you, you speak it rather than just blurting it out
0: I try to. The challenge I've got with, and I'm guessing it's the same for your husband or your partners, is that the brain's still kind of working, but the the interface is is slow. I'll think something and I'll I'll try and say it, but before my the rest of my sort of mind's caught up and speaking normally, I'll, I'll blurt it out. So what I tend to do, like if I'm out in a group of people, for example, at a restaurant, I'll sit at the end of the table. So all the noise is coming in one way and I can channel who I'm talking to much more reason, just focus on them. And then, yes, there is an element of saying, I almost sometimes have to say, look, I'm sorry. Uh, right. And then give them the answer. And initially people think you're being a bit dim or a bit slow, if I'm allowed to say that, because you're, you're. normally I'll be like that. But these, when you're with other people, you have to just, I mean, you do part of the coping mechanism is to warn them to say, look, I may occasionally say something that's a bit inappropriate. Our apologies in advance if I do, but if I really have to think about every word I'm gonna say, we're not gonna have a very good conversation. So I don't know whether that's, has that been with your your guys at all as
2: well? My, my husband loves to chat. And as soon as he walks in the front door, it'll be blurting stuff out. And I'm like, okay, okay, bring that back. And because I know him, I can kind of figure out what he's saying because a lot of the time yeah. it's not totally making sense and I can kind of piece it together and it's especially if he's kind of tired or whatever but it is kind of that blur blurring out words just like constantly as well and then he can't stop talking a lot of the time so actually he could probably get some tips from you Andy on you yeah. know being able to kind of rein it back a bit and sometimes I'm like okay stop Paul Like think about what you're going to say. And sometimes I feel I'm a bit harsh doing this, but I kind of really want him to be more aware of that and to actually, yeah, learn different ways of doing it because it's fine because it's me and I can kind of piece together what he's saying. But if you're saying that with someone else or he wants to get back into, you know, business, you need to piece it together in your head before it comes out. So yeah, sometimes I'll be like, okay, stop. Think about what you're saying. Mm. is that you know and and then tell me mm. I
1: think there's a couple of things Andy that you've said that I wanted to pick up on actually for my husband Hector it's a bit of the opposite problem because actually he he used to be much more eloquent and now he has um, aphasia so that's really affected his communication his speech so was that brought on by the stroke yes the yeah, yeah yeah okay so I think he knows exactly what he wants to say in his head but actually, he struggles to get his words out and say things in the way he ways he wants to. So when you were talking about being out with the noise, I think background noise is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's a lot of yeah. people and a lot of incoming sound and messages and the need to process all of that, I think that can be make it much more difficult to communicate, can't it? So
0: that, that is was, common. Yeah. Yes. It does. Yeah.
1: yeah. But the other thing that I think you said and you talked about which really resonated for me is this feeling of a safe space that actually at home with your family with your children you can talk you can laugh at the inappropriate things you might say because that safe space is protected you feel safe your family feels safe that that you all have that understanding Um, but actually when you leave that space things change a bit and I think that's a very shared experience uh certainly for our family that that means that it's a very precious place and that people that come into the home then become part of that and it's important that those people who do come into us are, are very dear to us and and precious to us in that space because it's it's an understanding and they they can build their understanding as well of of our shared experience of brain injury in that safe space and i think for me
0: What was important was understanding that, exactly that that there's a safe space at home and acknowledging that. And we'll tell me about your guys, but I know for me it took a couple of years before I accepted that I was different from before my brain injury. Initially I thought I'm going to get back to be how I was. Mm. That I realised wasn't going to be possible. And then it's about trying to put in coping mechanisms to lessen the impact if that makes sense of where I was different and one of those was exactly that we talked about it as a family my family just fantastic by the way because they are so understanding but we had to talk about that and it took probably about a couple of years from me being ill and being um, operated on before we we actually sat down and said hang on let's just acknowledge it we kind of tacitly understood that but to actually acknowledge it not quite to the point of putting house rules up but almost feeling that it's acceptable in that environment for me anyway that I can just relax I don't have to stress about uh, saying some something that's wrong so I don't know Have you guys had the same kind of discussions with with your partners about partly about accepting that they're different than they were before but also how you can try and and mitigate that difference and make their lives and your lives a bit more um, comfortable if that's the right word
2: I think we're starting to have some of those conversations. I think my husband is only just kind of getting into that acceptance Mm. part. I don't, not sure if he's 100% there. I'm definitely, I think I'm slightly further on now with accepting the situation, but I think for him, he's, you know, sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't.
3: It's a grieving process, isn't it? Because there's this whole life that you have planned out that's now not going to be lived and the life that you are going to live, both of you, him as an individually, but also as a couple and a family, there's a whole life that isn't going to happen now and a different life is going to happen. And there's a grief and loss in that, isn't there, of letting go of what you thought and accepting now what is.
2: Yeah. The massive, massive grieving process which which continues it you know it continues on and it's finding ways of yeah accepting that and being like okay that that never happened <laughs> you know it's not gonna happen we'll recreate mm-hmm. what life are we gonna recreate yeah. how are we gonna work with this and there's definitely work that we are doing you know or starting to do on that i think five years on you know it, it really really is a process For Paul, I think the whole work thing, you know, changing that has been something that he has struggled with. He wants to do something in some capacity, something purposeful within his uh, family business, but it's kind of finding out what and how he can fit into that. So it's constantly evolving, really.
1: Yeah. And I think coming back to the point about communication as well, I think, yes, we have had those conversations and they've changed over time Uh, my children as i said in the beginning were five and ten when hector had his brain hemorrhage and now they're 18 and 23 but i think that the foundation that we had for that communication of having really difficult conversations that you don't want to have with your young children and you know them Mm -hmm. going into the environment of hospital or, or or not on some occasions and and talking about some of the realities of what was going on and then also over time and them understanding that you know dad was struggling with this or was a bit different than other dads and what that might mean and reasons for that. But the, I think what that did was give a foundation for those deeper kind of conversations as we've all aged over the last 13 years. Mm-hmm. And and what I hope that's done, um, what I think it's done is enabled us to have sometimes difficult conversations, even now, you know, and about other things as well. And, and I think that's actually been one of the gifts of our situation that it's enabled us to understand how important that communication is and maybe be a little bit better than the, we might have been with those difficult conversations
0: completely agree with that and it is it's it but it takes time to come to terms with that and I mean Elizabeth you're saying it's it's five years now I think Paul's a lot younger than I was I guess so I kind of got to the so I was 52 when I was rushed to hospital wondering what the heck was going on in my life. So I didn't have a career to worry about because I was already on the downward slope. Whereas with your partner, it's a lot harder because he's probably still thinking, and that was my first reaction, what weirdly, was apart from have I got a passport because I need a passport to go to the hospital with, no idea where that came from, was how am I going to pay for my family? And it's it's those things. But in time, you get there. So maybe you're you're at the more difficult, challenging stage of life, I guess. Because Paul would expect I'm imagining to be the, the main breadwinner and that's going to be a challenge for him. But it's just having that ability to talk about it. Um, and this is where this might help others who are listening to this. Just There are many families who have partners with brain injuries. It's it's understanding that you're not alone and that having these really difficult conversations is the norm and is to be encouraged. And it's it's quite easy to shy away from that and just muddle through and you muddle through and you muddle through and five years later you're still muddling through and you think hang on let's just have a conversation now that would make like we we sat down when I finally got my head around the fact that I was different and we talked about right what what are we going to do not just with the life that I've got left but things like holidays Mm. can I still go on holiday can we go on holiday how do we communicate as a family how do we give myself that safe space and it's it's really Life has improved for me a lot since having those sorts of conversations, but it's not an overnight process. And um, it's, it's, it's gonna be a challenge, I guess, but it's one that hopefully people listening to this realize they're not, they're not alone in that situation.
3: As a carer for somebody in that situation, how does that affect your relationships? Because you have a certain dynamic in relationships and then suddenly you very much take on a very different role.
1: Yes, hesitation there from both of us. Um, I thought I'd (laughs) let you go first, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, it's such a loaded question, isn't it? Because it's, Mm. it's such a big question. I certainly think that being a carer alongside being a wife is challenging at times where there is a change in roles and responsibilities, and that's not always welcomed by me having those additional roles or hector not having them i i think also trying to manage our relationships so that we are both supportive of each other within what we can do and maintaining to me something that's very important is the respect that goes with the love as well so that we can make sure that we are respectful of each other's capabilities, roles and responsibilities. And then in some of the day-to-day things, I mean, I am I have to do a lot of form filling and communicating and things, you know, that kind of life admin that I don't like doing. Does anyone like doing it? I don't know.
3: I was going to say, does anyone like doing it? But then... It, uh... When somebody's got any kind of illness or anything, it suddenly quadruples and you're suddenly left with lots and lots more than normal.
0: Absolutely. And, you know. Were you given any support with that, Elizabeth, in terms of sort of migrating from the relationship you had to where you're, you're effectively being a carer as well? Were you given any help or guidance or support or have you kind of had to work it all out yourself?
1: No, and I actually looked for some um, family counselling at the time, because I felt at that when we were still really in a crisis situation, or when Hector first came out of hospital, which I think was still part of that, he was in hospital for five months. But having two young children, his care needs, our relationship, I was really struggling then. Um, But I was unable to find any services that could help us specifically, it wasn't just that I wanted counselling, it was specifically looking at all of those dynamics. And no, I I couldn't find anyone that I thought we could talk to as a family to help us navigate Mm -hmm. some of that. I got involved in the carers realm, I used some carer support services, and kind of got involved in in some carer representation in cambridgeshire which was great and very helpful for me at the time and we know that it can take a long time for people to allow themselves to receive that support because often um, people don't want to identify as being a carer or don't do that for some time I think for me, once I did that enabled me to access that support, which I hadn't done before. But also I then withdrew from that because I, as I got back to work and as our situation changed, I felt that I wasn't, was no longer really being the voice of carers, many of whom were carers that were caring for either children or partners where their situation was wasn't going to change or maybe was going to get worse. So I stepped away from that, but I did find that very supportive at the time. And obviously still, I still identify as a carer because I think that there are lots of parts of my role that I wouldn't be doing if I wasn't in that caring role.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think there are, like Julie was saying, You are taking on a lot, a lot more responsibility. It is all those things, like you say, that you don't necessarily want to do on top of everything else that life throws at you and your work and looking after a house. And I've got two children, young children, so they are now 10 and 6, and at the time they were almost 2 and 6. So really young, so had my hands full, certainly at the beginning, looking after them, and and I still do, gosh, it just gets busier and busier, the amount of activities. And the thing, like, so my husband can't drive, so I'm, like, always the designated driver, (laughs) which is fine, but sometimes you're, like, you know, you're driving to a kid's party, you're driving back, you're taking them to whatever activities, they've got drama or whatever, and picking them up from school, and... So, yeah, I do feel like a glorified taxi driver a lot. And that's the thing that when you
3: didn't know this was going to happen, you planned to do this as a, a couple, as a partnership. You didn't think you'd effectively be doing all of those things on your own, that it would be a shared responsibility, presumably.
2: And and Paul used to do a lot, a lot, before his stroke. He, he took on a lot of that responsibility, actually, with the children. He would look after, you know, a lot of the financial stuff. He kind of, you know, he he really liked having that control, actually kind of doing that. And now he doesn't, it really, really frustrates him, actually, in terms, you know, for, for some of those things, particularly kind of some of the adm- uh, admin things and financial things. With the kids, he is really reconnecting with them. And I'm kind of empowering him Why, you know, just, leaving him to it on a lot of occasions I am back freelancing in my journalism work so that's allowing him to take them to school pick them up from school giving him ownership over that making their dinners and all that sort of thing and you know I'm not there. It's not mummy, mummy. What really annoyed him, I suppose, for, for a while. It's like, oh, it's all mummy, mummy, mummy all the time. What about daddy? <laughs> like, he didn't. Have, there was that disconnect. Mm-hmm. that you have to talk with, to them. You have to do stuff with them. You can't just sit there and like expect the relationship to evolve. So it's it's kind of forced him to have those connections, to chat with them, to spend time with them to read their books and together and all that sort of thing, you know, make their dinner. And then that's kind of a whole other thing. And I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not there to see anything. I kind of just get home and (laughs) the house is in whatever state it's in. (laughs) The kids are fed. Sometimes they're in their pajamas, you know, he's done a good job. He's, he's, you know, he's trying, he's, it's allowing him and giving him the space, to feel purposeful and to take ownership, and it's really helpful. It is really helpful. I think one thing with that
1: question as well, Sarah, that I'm mindful of is that actually there's lots of single parents who mm. are doing all of these things on their own anyway. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and you know, I often think about that change role, and you know, when I have additional duties and think about you know single parents who are doing it all on their own i guess one of the things though that i i think we we then navigate when we are still in our relationships is when are we helping and when are we being obstructive um and trying to facilitate often that that helping out and that kind of equality in a partnership and so i think that's where some of the additional responsibilities lie as well is that yeah. is that kind of navigating that space where we want to still be able to facilitate our partners to do Mm. as much as they can but that also takes
2: work it really really does uh, yeah yeah and and dealing with their emotions as well and you know sometimes there is that conflict that's going to come up in any kind of relationships anyway but when you have you know somebody who can't do what he used to do really wants to be able to and gets you know angry annoyed frustrated it's and and can be sometimes negative about it you know about life in general you know it's managing all those emotions as well both your husbands were very young when they had
3: their brain injuries you know andy touched on it but when you're that age our careers are so much part of our identity you know what we do like andy said he was getting to the end of that where it was becoming less so for your husband's that change that shift of who am i if i'm not this who am i if i'm not that is kind of another layer that comes onto it because they've now got to re-establish their identity, we create an identity within that.
1: Yes, and also I think being confident enough in that new identity now to role model. I mean, you know, my my husband for my son and I think is a an amazing role model, but it's not through the career that he might have had, mm-hmm. but actually it's through the fact that he gets up every day and engages and does all the things that he is able to do and pushes himself to do that and we all see that mm-hmm. so you know that's the the successes of a life get measured on different things
2: yeah, yeah and how far they've come and you know it's it's very much who who is to say that success is is measured by you know achievements career or whatever that's just a perspective mm-hmm. isn't it and it like i kind of look at paul and i think gosh how inspiring for them to see somebody that you know was almost died was couldn't walk talk have conversations that are coherent and here he is living breathing and if you know every day is going out and trying to be more and keep improving himself he wants to progress yeah. and keep doing you know doing stuff i mean uh, talking about some of the facilities that um or help or support that we've had i At the beginning, I didn't really, unlike Julia, have or look for kind of that support necessarily. I think it was a few years down the line where I thought, actually, I'm quite open now to maybe talking to somebody. And actually, a local charity, which is amazing, it's called INS integrated neurological services they have been incredible in providing Paul with some great courses he's like did a he's doing a creative writing one he's doing like mindfulness course not i think you know it kind of goes out the window sometimes he's like we just did some meditation i'm like okay can you do that a bit more so that you're not like especially when i get home yeah feel the effects a bit more so th- that's been great. And, um, but also they provided someone for me to talk to as well. And that was really, that's really good. great. Yeah. So just to talk through things and what I, you know, my experiences in a really safe space, it's somebody that I obviously didn't know, and they have carers weeks that they put on as well. Like um, once a month, they, they bring the carers all together. So that I've been really, really grateful that that service has been available for us and I know a lot of places don't have that but I'm really really grateful that that's that's there for us to tap into
3: and I think that's really important because it's terrible for the person that's got the brain injury but the person that's caring for them often there's a huge gap in between what is offered what support is is out there or even thought of it doesn't even come up in conversations like how are you coping
1: Yes, and I think that's for, with On A Good Day and with our podcast, it's that acknowledgement that actually, if we are all better informed, if we are all coping better, then the outcomes for our loved ones who've been affected by brain injury are also going to be better.
2: It's just understanding. It's understanding their situation. Is them understanding our situation better. I think through some of our episodes, it's, it's made Paul maybe realise a little bit about you know, I was just
3: about to ask: Do they listen to your podcast?
2: They did come on one as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did one with us. And yes, they. I mean, got no option. He's got to got to listen to it. But no, he's actually getting loads out of it. Actually, <laughs> out of listening. Yeah, it's been really beneficial for him.
0: I had that as well with the the charity podcasts because I've done a couple talking about sort of challenges with living with a brain injury, and my kids. They're all in their twenties now, but. They've each said, Wow, Dad, I didn't realize what you were having to put up with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And also to my wife saying, Hey, mum, I made you're having to deal with Dad who's doing that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps because through the podcast, you can just explain more about the challenges of either being a carer or having or being someone with a brain injury. And it's different. I mean, I was just going to quickly go back to the, the bit about. Part of accepting that you're you're different is also for both the carer and the person with the brain injury, is accepting that success is now measured in in a different way. So success up to when your 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 partners had their injuries probably measured in a certain way. Now it's measured in a different way. I do occasionally have that with my kids. They don't communicate too much with me, but that's kids. When they sort of say, Hey Dad, I, I didn't realize that just going out and functioning for you is actually quite a big deal. They just assumed because I was la- loud and leery beforehand that I would be now. And I had one specific where I went to Thorpe Park last October for Fright Night and actually went on a couple of the rides. Now, whether that was wise or not, I don't know, but my, I was with my kids and it was fantastic because A, I was with them and I felt like a, a dad again, like I used to, but they were sort of saying, Understanding what I was having to deal with, they said, "Are you sure, Dad? Do you want to go on that?" And when I came off, and they both gave me a massive, I'm get emotional, and a, a massive big hug, and said, "Wow, we we realise how hard that was for you." So having those new measures or different measures of success post the injury is is vital, I think, for both the carers and and the person involved, so that you can, rather than saying, "Oh, you used to be able to do that. Why can't you do it anymore?" You can say, "Wow, you've done that. Well done." And also the carers as well, because like you said, you're having to do a lot more than you probably signed up on, for, for a better phrase, for better words I know. But um, So it's, it's recognising for you guys that, so if you can get your husband maybe to slow down when he's talking, when you come home, that's actually a sign of success that you're having a, a positive impact on him. And it's trying to measure those little increments of success, I think is important for You you and the, um, the carers and the people being cared for
1: and i think communicating them as well like we you know looking yeah. back to communication actually saying to each other thank you that was brilliant that was great that wasn't so great you know that was really hard for me i think those yeah following up those times with that communication which of course a, a great big hug to dad is uh, says a million words as well doesn't it so yeah i think that's really powerful small steps one thing i did want to just say that i i think i do find difficult in this new experience is having the sole response not the sole responsibility but decision making carrying more responsibility in making decisions but also in trying to make that equitable in terms of our decision making But then also managing risk, I feel, in terms Mm. of some of the decision making that I'm called upon to make. So I was interested in you saying, Andy, you went to to Thought Park because I'm really nervous about that. My husband's had some pretty major seizures and, you know, I I just don't know whether that's a good thing to do or not. Because I drive, we haven't been to Thought Park on a ride, but maybe, Do do you know what I mean, just in terms of that responsibility of, I don't want to stop Hector doing things, but also I am actively making decisions around managing risk or what we do to try and enable him to do as much as possible, but also to manage the risk. And I sometimes find that a lot of responsibility, and I don't know the answers to some things.
2: Would he want Um, to go to Thought Park? I'm sure he'd love it. I don't don't think Paul would. I don't think. wouldn't want to go with him it would be so stressful especially with two with two young children and yeah maybe when they're grown up yeah. you'd be yeah. all right oh, but my goodness the thought the th- but it's managed the risk, risk isn't it? it yeah you're
0: absolutely right julia and it's it, it's that's how much do you manage their risk for them and yes. always like wrap them in cotton wool, yes and exactly. how much do you let them be i mean my i mean i'm probably a bit more i don't know at the stage of life where i i've always wanted to occasionally do daft things and my family know that and my wife knows that just once or twice, just do something daft that reminds myself that I'm alive and I can be a bit irresponsible. So if your husband's like that, that occasionally he likes to just do something a bit silly, then I'd encourage it. Let 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 him go. He'll probably get so much pleasure out of doing something that he probably thought he couldn't do beforehand that I guess it would outweigh the risks. And if something does go wrong, then you'll know not to do it again. Yeah
1: we have himself. talked about positive risk taking on in one of our podcast episodes yeah and we are doing more of that and one friend said she is gonna take hector to thought park i don't think i'm gonna go that's my solution <laughs> i can go together and i'll stay at home <laughs>
3: and i hope the phone doesn't ring really yeah, yeah. turn yeah. the phones yeah. off and just be like i'm in denial yeah oh great gosh. What advice would you give somebody who they've just suddenly found themselves in a position where their partner has got brain injury and they're wondering, oh my God, how am I going to deal with this? That first moment of crisis when it happens.
2: Stay calm, stay calm. Like it's not the worst. It's not, you don't know what the future holds. Really take it one day at a time. Really, you know, you can't, you can overthink these things, overthink things Mm. that haven't happened. I think believe in them, staying positive where possible. Because I mean, if you're in the situation where you're in hospital, surrounded by a lot of medical staff, they can be really negative, and they can tell you start, you know, oh, well, he'll never be able to do this. Or I know, I know, they kind of have to give you the worst case scenario, but you just know that that is medical speak, and they don't know that person. Mm. They're looking statistically or in their experience but they don't know your husband and i you know when paul was he was in a coma for sort of six weeks at least six weeks at some points they were being you know incredibly kind of negative about his chances of survival and i just turned around and i just and i said look you don't know my husband he is going to make it he is you know he's a fighter and he will keep fighting so don't don't Allow them to kind of dampen your stand up for your husbands, I think, or your partners, or whoever it is, those loved ones, and just take your time. Allow yourself to go through those emotions, and it will. Sometimes things catch up with you later on. It didn't hit me for probably three years afterwards about kind of the enormity of the situation because sometimes you just keep going, keep going. You are in denial, and you know be patient it's not and and it's okay to not be perfect to do things wrong and to get angry at them sometimes or have that conflict but like you say it is keeping that communication and being kind to yourself as well because you're taking Mm -hmm. on so much responsibility but look for support I think friends Mm -hmm. family don't be afraid to ask for help
1: yes I think my key points, and, and I think there are different things at the point of crisis mm. from further down the line, but certainly I think taking one day at a time was the best advice I was ever given because it's too frightening to look too far ahead. So taking one day at a time, asking for help, I was not used to asking for help. I didn't really know how to do it. I resisted it for a little bit, but not for very long because it became quite quickly apparent that I needed help. So I think not, not struggling with any guilt around that and asking for help when you need it. Trying to keep some time for yourself to just take a breath, take a step back to keep rested. Um, so that you, you are there, and that's very difficult. I, mm. I was told at hospital, you know, you, you're not going to help by being here 24 yeah. hours a day. Go back and get some rest, and, of course, you don't want to, but I think that that was very good advice So mm. trying to do that.
2: Keep keep you healthy because, you know, I was very aware that I was having to keep the whole family together. Yeah. So in some ways, I kind of threw myself into making sure that I was as Fit and as healthy as I could to get through those really tough times mm. when it does take it out of you. Yeah. And I think uh, just another
1: couple of sort of longer term ones are fine points of connection. Where are the points that when it seems that actually you've lost things that you used to do together? Where are the things that you can do together and also focusing on the things that your loved one or the person you're caring for can do? and not necessarily what they can't do. And I think that provides a foundation.
2: Very good advice. Yeah, I'm constantly saying to Paul, stop telling me what you can't do. What can you do? So yeah, it's really drilling that in and empowering them to realize, look at all their stuff. As a carer to focus on that, I think too.
3: Amazing talking to you both. Before we wrap up, you've got your podcast we've mentioned it a few times do you want to just give us a little bit of an overview about your podcast what, what it is and where people can find it
2: of course so people can listen to the podcast we're on a good day so on wherever you would usually get your podcast from uh, you can follow us on instagram on a good day twitter on a good underscore day and i'm sure you'll put all this in the show notes as well yeah. You know this is for it's for anybody really affected by brain injury obviously our perspectives is from somebody who has a partner who has a brain injury but really we're really delving into all those kind of questions that we would like to get answered that our partners are probably curious about as well helping people to get more informed because the more informed you are about the situation about other people's you know stories and how they're feeling and then the more you can empathize and help that person to you know empower them to to be the best that they can be and for you too as well because Mm -hmm. you know looking after somebody with a brain injury it as we have discussed it it does change your life it changes the responsibilities you're living a slightly different life but that's okay it's you're creating your new stories things happen in life don't they and it's building that resilience and you know staying positive being the light and the storm giving it time and and, and feeling all those emotions as well
1: yes and i think it's great that you at uh, the brain tumor charity have also got a podcast because i think it is a platform that people are increasingly using and people can pick and and choose what is the most helpful to Mm. them and so thank you very much for having us on today as well
2: really really grateful for you inviting us on so thank you so much and for all the great work that you guys are doing your charity is just amazing and Mm -hmm. you know helping so many others and for for those people with brain tumors brain injuries and their families as well it's incredible anyone is listening
3: all the details for elizabeth and julia will be in the show notes and all the links to on a good day as well so if you just go down to the show notes it'll all be in there for you